Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. This is another episode of the Bible Overview Series. I'm here with Rose Johnson again, and we're going to be diving into the era of kings. Last week, we heard about the life of David and the transition that Israel took from the time of the judges and them being without a king into them desiring a king. And you talked about Saul and David. So, yeah, thanks for coming again, Rose. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) And uh, would you like to just recap a little bit about what you talked about last week? And then we can just jump right into this king's time period. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so basically a couple weeks ago we were talking a bit about the judges cycle and how they were finally in the promised land and then basically um, God was continually faithful during that time frame. Mm. And so there was this the cycle of like them choosing to turn away from the covenant that they made with God. And so they, they made this covenant at the mountain of uh, Ebal and Gerizim. And so that is a mountain of blessings and curses. And so that was a system that God set up so that they would know, like, if they were swerving off the path. And so it would be an indicator for them to to change what they're doing and to focus on their relationship with God. And so basically, over and over again, they kept on going their own way. And that's when God sent different judges. And so it's so cool because even when they were kind of doing their own thing at times, God would intervene and he, like his heart was for them to, to, to stay in that covenant, to stay on track. Like yeah. he saw the best in them. He, yeah, just really, um, yeah, loved them. And ultimately it came back to the covenant that he made with them. And so we explored a little bit of what that looked like. Um, yeah, just, um, so basically the author concluded like, Hey, you know, ultimately this is all because we don't have a king when actually it was because they were just doing their own things. And really the solution is, is God. Yeah. Um, and so even though, um, God's heart wasn't necessarily for them to, um, have a king, a military leader as a nation, um, he still allowed it and he still was like, okay, like I'll just work Hmm. with this. I think it's just really amazing to see his patience through all of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, we went a little bit into Deuteronomy 17 and went through what God's heart was for a king. Mm. Um, essentially, the bare bones of that, that scripture is um, he didn't want them to, be, uh, to have a king like the other nations. So they weren't supposed to gather horses um, from Egypt specifically. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they weren't also to... Um, yeah, like, I mean, gather many wives and well. So it, this was all um, characteristics from other nations, like the, this, this pattern of what a king should look like. And ultimately, God didn't want them to be, uh, to go back to Egypt, to go into that slavery mindset. Um, God wanted them to walk in freedom and the fullness of what relationship with God looked like. Yeah. Um, and so um, when we went over the story of David and a a bit just over first and second Samuel, we saw how um, basically the Israelites, um, when they wanted a king, they actually were rejecting God's kingship. Oh, true. And so basically they're like, Oh, we want a king like the other nations. And, and 
um, God actually spoke to Samuel, and he was like, it's not you that they're, they're rejecting. It's actually me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And so basically we unpacked a bit of the story, and Saul means asked for. So God essentially gave mm. them what they wanted. But then with David, David means beloved son. And so David is, David is known as a man after God's own heart. And, um, and what's so cool is like when we look at his story, he wasn't necessarily perfect, but he was very repentant. Yeah. And like um, at the pinnacle of like, I guess, his sin, like with David, like when he slept with Bathsheba, um, we see, and it was actually immediately after God made covenant with him. And it really points to the fact that like, as amazing as David is, like, you can like he's like the best of the best kings in all of all the kings of Israel. Yeah. And even he falls short of God's kingship. And so there's almost like this emphasis mm. in the story of like how much the Israelites need like God as a king. Yeah. And uh and in some ways it's kind of hinting at like this this future Messiah picture who uh ultimately it um and the Israelites are well aware of this, so they, um, the, through the covenant that God made with David, they, um, they actually connect that to the Messiah. They're like, okay, there's going to be a king in the line of David who's going to reign for whatever all of eternity. Yeah, and um, yeah, and and so they have this picture even after Israel no longer has a king. They they're just locked on to the, this idea of like, okay. We're going to have a king, and he's going to be the best king ever. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, we see how that's fulfilled through Jesus. Which True, is super cool. <laughs> Were they expecting a king that would actually live forever? I think it. Would, I mean, the idea is it would be someone who would have, like, to who would save them. Yeah. Um, the promise wasn't necessarily a king that would live forever, even though Jesus technically fulfills that. Yeah, true. But it's just the line of David cannot go out. So, yeah. um, And so there is kind of like this tension. We'll see it a bit in the next couple episodes where the Israelites are banking on this promise. And so yeah. they're like, oh, well, it doesn't matter what we do. God's going to fulfill his promise. So we're just going to kind of ease up on certain things. Um, there's no way we're going to go into exile because God made this promise. And um, and then on the flip side, we had the blessings and curses, um, I guess, agreement that the Israelites made before going into the promised land. And that promise was all wrapped up in, like, if you choose to walk in obedience and obey, like, obey God and... Yeah, just continue that relationship with God. You're going to stay in the promised land. But if you don't, all these curses are going to come as a result. Yep. And we actually see all of them are fulfilled up until oh, no. the Israelites are <laughs> um, brought out of the, the promised land. Yeah. Um, and there's so much more connected to that. Um, I mean, on a very cool note, if you look at um, the law and how many... Uh, so that basically the Israelites are supposed to um, uh, have a Sabbath for the land every seventh year. So there is okay. one year where they wouldn't plant any crops. Just basically mm. whatever the land grew naturally, that's that was their food for that year. 
And so basically the Israelites did not honor that the entire time they were in, um, in Israel. And so if you calculate how many years it, the, um, I, well, one, one aspect of the kingdom, so the southern kingdom, um, was in the promised land, it actually, and you divide that by seven, it's a, equivalent to 70, which is the amount of years they are in exile. So when, so mm-hmm. later on, we're actually going to go a bit into the exile where um, the exile is a result of the Israelites completely breaking the covenant. Yeah. Like, and it was just a fulfillment of the agreement they made before entering into the promised land. Um, so they actually were out of the promised land for 70 years. Um, but what's so cool is God, after that period, brings them back into the promised land. Yeah. Um, so we'll go a bit into that. Um, what we're covering today is more the time leading up to okay. exile. Yep. Um, and I'll later on go into a bit of the different nations that are um, involved in the exile of the Israelites. But really just want to focus on how they ended up in exile. Yeah. What what kind of led up to this? Because um, yep. that's really what the author is addressing. Yeah. Um, they're, so the Israelites are kind of asking, like, why? Like, God, why did this happen? Mm. But the uh, the author of these books are basically trying to, um, to point out to the Israelites, like, hey, you guys messed up and you were repeatedly mm. choosing to walk away. And so God eventually had to just let you walk away. Um, but what's so cool is God didn't just say, like, okay, I'm going to start over with yeah. another nation. Like, he actually brought them back into the promised land and has continued his covenant with his them. His promise. And that he only let them wander so far, hey? Exactly, which is super cool. Well, we've teased a lot of things along the way in this series, and I like that. It gets you excited for the next episode, and so no doubt this will be another cliffhanger because we'll go and, you know, there's more to come, and I'm excited. <laughs> but it seems like we know the cr- or we know the punishment, right? Because we've, we've been talking about the exile a little bit and teasing it along the way. And so, like you said, they're going to go into exile, but now we know... Now we're going to go into the crime and see that the punishment fits the crime. Yeah. And so, yeah. Awesome. Cool. That's, that's a great, that's a great structure. So anyway, um, yeah, let's dive into Kings then and what comes next. Sounds good. Um, so basically we left off with David's life and, um, yeah. And so as much as he was an amazing person, he loved God. Um, he did make mistakes. Um, and, but really we see his heart and how he has this repentant heart. Mm. And so basically when we go into first and second Kings, we want to remember that template because that he's actually um, someone that is referred to over and over again to compare. um, uh, Yeah. Basically to be that template for what is defined as a good King. Okay. And there's only a handful of good Kings in the nation of Israel. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so there's actually quite a few evil kings, spoiler mm. alert. <laughs> um, yeah, and so things kind of get from, um, yeah, bad to worse, and, like, very quickly. Um, and so we had, and, yeah, oftentimes I think, uh, even, like, where we end up in life, it really is a result of all these small decisions we make. Yeah, And true. so we need to, I think it's even good for us to be aware of, like, what are the small decisions we're making that's mm. little compromises that actually might lead us to places we don't want to end up? Yeah. Um, so 
good thing to remember as we go through this. Wow. Um, yeah. So basically we, uh, so in first Kings, it starts with the end of David's life. So he's an old man, basically end of his years. And, um, yeah. And so it's quite a contrast to, um, the end of second Samuel where, um, we see like, oh, like he was, Continuing being a king, doing awesome things. Yeah, top of his game. Yeah, at the end of top that of one. his game. And so now he's, um, yeah, basically in bed. He can't even keep himself warm. Wow. And yeah, but basically he he promised the kingdom to Solomon, which is a bit ironic because um, actually, I mean, typically when when it comes to kingdoms and even um, how the uh, covenant blessing. Or I guess, yeah, the covenant, or Jesus' uh, genealogy um, is passed on from the eldest, from eldest to eldest. So, in theory, um, uh, Saul, or David's firstborn son should have inherited the throne. But yeah. um, we see there's a lot of bloodshed in David's family, and basically, um, they were, a lot of his kids started to imitate uh, what uh, David actually committed through the story of um, Bathsheba. So, yeah, basically, um, we start off on this this kind of sad note. Um, and so, um, basi- so there's another son who should be next in line. Uh, his name is Adonijah. And he's like, well, I'm now the oldest, so I'm the one who should be um, heir to the throne. And so, in the very beginning of Kings, we see this um, this tension where Adonijah basically is, like, trying to very um, sneakily inherit the throne. Um, and Solomon um, ends up finding out about this. And so, basically, it um, <laughs> did the exact opposite of what Adonijah desired. And so, it ended up um, very, or I guess, increasing... Um, or um, what's the word? It basically progressed Solomon becoming king um, very like much faster than it would have maybe otherwise. Yeah. So Solomon very quickly became king uh, after Adonijah basically tried to um, take the throne. Yeah, he proclaims himself king, it says here. Yeah. So uh, basically, yeah, he tried to make himself king. And then, um, I mean, there's a lot more dialogue in that, but that's just the big picture. So, um, this is like the classic passage we go to with Solomon. So, in chapter 3, he basically asks God for wisdom. And, um, yeah, and so, I can imagine, I mean, it would be really intimidating, especially, like, um, from what I understand, he's pretty young to inherit the throne. Okay. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, there's like this extra weight on him to... Um, oversee the kingdom and so i mean if i i was in that place i would of course um ask for wisdom but i think um (laughs) we kind of get focused on that and we're like okay cool like he did awesome um and how can you go wrong if you've got all the wisdom so he must have been perfect exactly uh and we'll kind of see how how things panned out for solomon um but yeah basically um there's a red flag we see from the very beginning. So in chapter 3, verse 1, it says that he made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, uh, 
yeah, so he ended up marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Um, and so if we go back to Deuteronomy 17, that should immediately send off a red flag. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, we often don't think about that. I'm just going there now. Mm-hmm. So they, But they would have known because I'm not as familiar with the Bible as they would have been or yeah, the Torah. exactly. So they would have known right away what this was and how he would have actually been going against what God said. Exactly. And once again, like going back to Leviticus, like the law, that's that's the lens in which the audience sh- should be reading through. So we don't necessarily get that same, um, yeah, context when we just read through the Bible. But we really have to see um, the story through that lens. Um, yeah. And so um, it was super awesome. He asked for wisdom. Um and uh, it almost seemed like he was asking, like, okay, can I just have this this manual for success? Like, God, you just give me a manual, and then I can run the show myself. Um, yeah, and we do see immediately there was, um, like, the story where you had the uh, two prostitutes. They, had, uh, they each had a kid, and so one of their children died in the middle of the night, and so... Um, Basically, he, um, in order to discern who the real mother was, told them, I'm going to cut the living baby in half. And the real mother was like, no, you need to spare him. So um, so that was like the first test of wisdom. So um, initially, we were like, okay, this is, you know, this is a good thing. Solomon wants to, to steward what has been given to him well. Now, as the story progresses, we see... Uh, Solomon ends up building the temple and um, yeah and that was actually a fulfillment of the covenant with David um, and um, and and really during Solomon's time that was a time of peace so there wasn't any war this is the same time that wisdom literature came out um, so we see like Proverbs, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, um, Job all of these were most likely um, compiled during this time because, okay. um, uh, and often that's true in history where you will, there's more literature that comes out of a time where there's peace. Um, otherwise, like when there's war, you, you need all hands on deck. Yeah. And so you don't have time to write books. To write books. Um, so in some ways, this was like the height of the kingdom of Israel where there is peace. Um, it kind of ha- echoes to ultimately what jesus does like he is the prince of peace and um it's like his he's the one establishing peace uh, ultimately yeah and so this is kind of like a foreshadowing of that um just and so we see, see that a bit in in solomon's life but um yeah ultimate and so we need to recognize okay there's a general picture there but Solomon isn't necessarily the template that we want to use. Um, and he mm. he isn't even used for um, the ideal king that we see later on. No. So it's good to be aware of that as well. Can I ask you a question about Job? Yeah, I absolutely. thought Job might have been written a lot earlier. Yeah, I mean, basically with, with Job, it, um, the story most likely took place um, maybe as early as like Abraham's timeline. Okay. But it was probably orally passed down over the years. Oh, true. And so okay. then um, the reason why it is seen to be written 
during this time frame is because um, even the structure of it, it's very poetic, very artistic. Mm. Um, and so the story in and of itself most definitely was a, a older story. Yeah. But at least... Uh, and so during Solomon's time frame, it was very much about the arts and, and mm, presenting okay. in a beautiful way. And I mean, he loved wisdom. He literally yeah. was like... Like he was trying to find it everywhere. Like, That's his thing. <laughs> yeah. So he and he um, even talks about in Kings how he had like over like a thousand um, different um, pro or sorry three thousand proverbs um, and a thousand songs. So Solomon wrote a thousand songs. Uh, it says um, sorry in chapter four verse thirty two. It says he spoke 3,000 Proverbs. Um, so I'm assuming he didn't necessarily make all of this, even yeah. though he has this gift of wisdom. Okay. I think it more, he kind of, it became his obsession. So he mm. maybe collected it from, you know, even okay. different nations. Like there would be like, he, he might hear something and he's like, ah, I'm going to okay. jot that down. Um, so, and those are obviously some theories. I don't sure. know. As a fact, but amazing. It's yeah, still it's, it's still a lot about. yeah, a lot of content coming out of him, his collection, his this time frame that is sort of based on who he is and this gift of wisdom that the Lord has given him. Yeah. And so uh, oftentimes I have taught on this before, um, just in a classroom setting. And yeah. I, I usually like to challenge my students like, well, what kind of wisdom was he looking for? Because we can I mean, even in the garden you know, Eve looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she says, I, I desire it because of the wisdom it might have. And mm-hmm. so sometimes we get so caught up in, oh, like, wisdom is a good thing. Like, I want that. Yeah. But I think if uh, it's kind of like the, the tree, I mean, that was a direct disobedience, but oftentimes we can be so focused on the gifts and not the giver. Because when, when we actually look at wisdom at, at the the core, like the essence of wisdom, it really is Jesus. It's God. Like, yeah. and, and true wisdom flows out of his truth. And so um, even like the wisdom literature, there's a lot that points to truth. True. And it might be observations that we can see, but ultimately it needs to flow out of that revelation. Yeah. Um, and so we need to have... Yeah, see it through that lens. Because um, even Solomon, um, it even it talks about how um, at the end of his life, or later on, he he marries all these women, yeah. which was one of the, the things that was pointed out in yep. Deuteronomy 17, that you shouldn't acquire many women. And, uh, and even Solomon, I think he got so wrapped up in this gift of wisdom that he actually lost God in the process, wow. um, which is... Honestly, pretty sad. <laughs> um, we see, and like he's the one who built the temple. He yeah. like laid this foundation, um, but it's almost as if he just like God just kind of went to the side. Mm. Like he was just so focused on on this. I mean, it's a good thing. Wisdom is an amazing gift, but yeah, it's a good even a challenge for our lives. Yeah. Of like, do we get so wrapped up in in the gifts that God gives us and, instead of like God himself uh, and relationship with him. And he was the one who wrote, lean not on your own understanding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So it's it's good to, um, yeah, even be aware of that in our own lives. Um, yeah, and so basically we see the end of his reign. Um, this is in chapter 11. Um, and, yeah, verse, so it talks about in verse 3, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines, um, which is crazy. Wow. Um, it's possible it could have been a symbolic number, just to indicate, um, maybe just emphasizes a lot. It could be literal. I, yeah. Because it's exactly. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of an interesting, interesting thing. In Song of Songs, it, it said that he had 39 wives, I believe. So <laughs> quite a few less. But, I mean, who knows? I mean, and I think what's also cool is, I mean, so, uh, yeah, so he had all these wives, and then, in verse 4, it says, When Solomon um, was old, his wives turned his heart away from um, from God, basically. Um, so, and to follow after other gods. And um, he wasn't wholly true to the Lord his God, um, as was, was his uh, David his father. And so, and then it even lists out which, which uh, gods he went after. So it was Ashereth, um, uh, Milkon, uh, Chemosh, Molech. So these were all these other gods that the pagans worshipped. Yeah. And it's so sad because you, you think, oh, man, like, he had it going. Like, he started strong, but then he just dropped the ball completely. Um, and, and this basically ends up um, being passed on to the, the rest of the kingdom. And, and he even says that Solomon did what is evil in the sight of the Lord. So, um, yeah, it's good for us to even be aware, like, just because we start well doesn't mean we'll finish well, and we need to, to be aware of those, those bumps in the road. And, um, yeah, and, I mean, I can only imagine how much it hurt God's heart to see, like, Solomon, like, he had so much handed to him, and, like, he, like, he was set for success. And, and yeah, basically completely turned away from God, which is wow. so sad. Terrible. Yeah. So, yeah. And, I mean, I think it's really interesting because um, when we look at Ecclesiastes, mm-hmm. I feel like um, it actually has so much insight because Solomon, he literally had everything at his fingertips mm-hmm. from women to wealth to work to, like, you name it. And in Ecclesiastes, it actually breaks it down to the point where we can almost see his lifetime and how even though he had all these other things, he was bankrupt at the end of his life. Wow. And he, in Ecclesiastes, it talks about how everything is meaningless, everything, yeah, it's just like this, this mist, this havel, um, this emptiness. And so I think it's actually an amazing insight for us to, to look at Solomon's life and, and learn from his mistakes and be like, wow, like, um, literally, when we try to find um, purpose, meaning, value, and all these things outside of God, we're, and we end up with nothing. But then when we have God, when we seek him with our whole heart, then we have everything we could ever need yeah. and more. So is he actually financially bankrupt, or he was just bankrupted at heart because bankrupted. he had ruined? Yeah, in his heart. Yeah, okay, that yeah. makes sense. And and yeah, and so I think it's so interesting because we live in a world where it's like, oh man, like if I can only just win the lottery, then all my problems will yeah. be solved. Uh-huh. But here is Solomon; he pretty much won the lottery, and he, even he realized, man, like 
this, yeah, at the end of the day, this is just awful. Um, yeah, and he completely went off the rails, so. Do you know that's another thing I saw in Deuteronomy 17, that it says they're not a, supposed to acquire much gold or silver. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah so he, he, he had so much wisdom that he did all the things that, in, at least in this passage, they're explicitly not supposed to do. Yeah, so it, uh, I think it's, yeah, it's really sad, but it's also an encouragement for us to be like, wow, like, maybe maybe that's the life I don't yeah, want to live. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but, yeah, and it, it is kind of interesting because David, like, started off where he was pretty much a nobody. And then, like, God gave him all this stuff. And But what was so cool is, like, his identity wasn't based on his position. It wasn't based on wealth. Like, you can see from the very beginning, he just had that raw and beautiful relationship with God. And so he started with that, and he finished with that. So as we go into the rest of the kings, we'll kind of see these two um, comparisons and see how how it pans out with the kings. Um, So, yeah, basically, we're left with, um, yeah, Solomon um, ended up having the kingdom tore from him. Um, So there's actually, so God ends up, sending um, a prophet to hunt down uh, Jeroboam. And so in the second um, bit of chapter 11, um, he finds um, Jeroboam. And, yeah, basically, um, there's uh, this uh, garment. So let me see here. And can you tell me who Jeroboam is? Yeah. So basically, uh, Jeroboam was this guy who um, he uh, felt an injustice in some capacity. Mm. And so God ended up choosing him uh, to be this next king over 10 of the 12 tribes. And so um, in verses 9 to 13, basically... God warns or tells Solomon, like, because you have chosen to, to live with your heart um, divided to, and you've ch- turned your way from me, so I will tear um, the kingdom from you. And so basically um, ten parts are torn from him, but then there's two that remain because God made covenant with David. And so God was like, I'm not going to fully tear this away from you because I, I'm going to be faithful to David. Okay. So, um, and so those two that remain with Solomon are, is um, the tribe of Judah mm. and the tribe of Simeon because Simeon actually is absorbed into Judah. And so when we look at the two kingdoms, so you have the entire kingdom of Israel. It was split in two. So it was the north kingdom and the south kingdom. And... And then the North Kingdom was basically the the rest of the ten tribes. Yeah. Um, and so that basically has a completely different set of kings. Yep. That, um, and actually it goes through quite a few dynasties. Uh, and then the Southern Kingdom only has the line of David. So it's good to even okay. keep those in mind. Um, so two different kingdoms. And yeah, so the... Um, yeah, so basically there's this whole thing where the prophet comes up to Jeroboam and he tears the cloth and he gives him, um, yeah, the ten pieces. And he says, God has given you these 
these 10 pieces. If you are faithful like, like David, then you will, yeah, basically continue to be able to retain this kingdom. And if not, it will be taken away from you just like Saul uh, and Solomon. And so we actually see Jeroboam doesn't do so hot because um, he ends up setting up two golden calves, which the reader should immediately think back to Exodus. Right, Mount Sinai. Yeah, but he had this mentality of like, oh, maybe if I can get them to worship these calves, then they'll be faithful to me. Uh, and he actually sets them up into these these two holy places. Um, I believe one of them was in Bethel. Um, yeah, which, I mean, that's, Bethel actually is like... House of God, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the house of God. And wow. it's the same place where, um, like, Jacob um, has that vision of, like, the, the angels coming in and out of oh, heaven. Yep. Um, yeah, and so it's wow. really awful. Um, yeah, so he did Bethel. Um, let's see here. And then, and then he did the other one, I believe in, um, in Dan. Yeah. So is Bethel and Dan. So that's in chapter 12, verse, uh, 29. Um, so that was really awful. Uh, and so that really sets the stage for the Northern kingdom. So this is a template that we see over and over again, where there's evil king after evil king after evil king. Um, I'm not going to go too much into that, sure. but we know that all the kings of the northern kingdom are evil. Yeah, all of them. All of them. Wow. Not one okay. good one, which is so. The first awful. thing, the yeah. kingdom just split after Solomon's death. Yeah. Ten tribes were given to Jeroboam. Yes. The last, well, the the tribe of Judah and Simeon, which is absorbed by Judah, is given to David's descendant. And then the first thing they do in Israel is set up the two altars that makes sure that they always are evil, all yeah. the kings from that on. Yeah. Okay. So Crazy. It's really, really bummer. Um, and then Solomon's son, uh, his name is Rehoboam. So it sounds very similar. Jeroboam and very Rehoboam. Very different. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to clarify that. I thought they were related. Yeah. Nope. They're okay. completely different. <laughs> they're not related. Um, but yeah, basically his son was like, oh, like... I'm going to take the advice of basically those who are the same age of me. And they were like, oh, like, well, I mean, Solomon, like, had all this labor to do stuff for the temple and build all these things. Um, so you should do it even more so. And you should be uh, whipping people with scorpions and putting a heavy yoke on the people. So he doesn't listen to the elders who have good advice Instead, he seeks advice from, yeah, basically his fellow comrades. Um, And so it's like he's setting himself up for failure, which is like such a bummer. Um, So, yeah, basically we also see that the southern kingdom isn't going so hot as well. Wow. So in the first, in the beginning of chapter 12, all of this takes place. I'm just reading. So he rejects the council to lighten the load of their work. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, they were, so the um, the council were like, hey, like, you probably should lighten things up because people are not going to be too happy. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and so then he's like, maybe, maybe, like, I should do my own thing. And yeah. it doesn't work out to, for him. Okay. So, yeah, basically we're going to trace a bit of w- what happens. Um, and I just want to highlight mo- the good kings in this bit just because we don't have a lot of time. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and so, uh, and also just to keep in mind, um, even in the midst of all these evil kings, God is still faithful 
to uh, keep the Israelites on track. So he sends different prophets. Um, throughout these two books, we see Elijah okay. move, and then we also see Elisha move. Okay. Uh, two different people. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds super familiar. Are they related? Um, no, but okay. <laughs> um, Elisha is basically the one who inherits, like, I don't want to say, like, the power per se, but the... Um, What's the word? It the, says his spirit, right? The double portion of his spirit. Yeah, so it's kind of it's this idea of like his authority. So okay. this um, even his heart for the land, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, okay. and just redemption. Um, and also, just to keep in mind, um, we're going to go a bit into some of the prophetic literature later okay. on. Um, and so, the early prophets are the prophets that cover this time frame during. Um, the time that Israel is in the promised land. Yeah. And then there's going to be some later prophets um, who are with them in exile. So that's like oh. Daniel, um, yeah, all and Jeremiah. Yeah. So a lot of those, um, just to, uh, I mean, a lot of this can be new for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just kind of a lot to take in. But that's basically sure. just to give a structure of like what, yeah, what it looks like. And so the prophet, what can you tell us a little bit about what a prophet is and what primarily they do? Yeah, and so, well, we actually covered a little bit of that with okay. Samuel last time. And so um, they were basically going to the people on behalf of God, okay. and they're this covenant attorney. They're the ones to help remind them of the covenant they mm-hmm. made and to, to turn away from, like, going down the, the bad path. Um, so it's re- just really cool that even in the midst of all these corrupt kings, God's hand is still at work. Um, yeah. And so, uh, even like, I mean, there's a lot of stories with Elijah, um, that like he like raises, um, a widow's son. He ends up, um, taking, uh, l- there's like this whole, um, uh, I don't know what you want to call it. Um, a showdown of like God versus these other gods um, okay. where they um, set up these altars and so fire comes down on God's altar and then All the other right. altar basically is untouched yep. um, and so over and over again God's faithful to show up to the Israelites and be like hey you're worshipping the wrong gods yeah. like I'm the one true God they're worshipping Baal right and yeah. trying to both of them are calling down fire on an altar, yeah. and then the God shows up. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, and it's and we see a lot even in Elisha's ministry. Um, there's a lot of things that he does that um, kind of echoes. Yeah, I mean Jesus just echoed through like the prophets, um, but yeah, even it's really cool because. Uh, Elisha does twice as many miracles as Elijah. Oh, wow. So when he gets the double portion, he actually does like twice as many twice, things. Yeah. And so um, whoever wrote these books actually documented it in that same fashion. Nice. Which is pretty cool. I didn't know that. That's yeah. really cool. There's a lot of cool nuggets in there. So yeah, basically as we're, we have been tracing the story, so um, we left off with, uh, so Solomon was like the last goodish king. Um, yeah, and so then the next, I would, you can call it revival, um, but basically it's just this time where they end up repenting um, and, yeah, choosing God um, was with uh, Asa. And so, um, 
let's see here. Going to turn over to Asa. I know there's <laughs> there's so much in here. It's like oh, so hard to to not talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So basically, Asa uh, shows up in um, chapter fifteen, and um, yeah. And so it says that he did right in um, the eyes of the Lord. Um, and so he basically took down all these idols, and um, yeah, this was like the uh, the next time after Solomon, who I, like a king actually um, chose to listen to God to do what he was saying, and he takes down all of the the idolatry that's going on. So really awesome that he shows up. Um, unfortunately, he makes an alliance with Syria. So it's, so by doing that this revival that breaks out ends up ending. Um, yeah. But it is cool to see there are kings who choose to step um, step against the grain yeah. and to, to actually um, partner with God. Sure. Um, In so, Judah, at least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In Judah. So when he made this partnership with Syria, uh, would the culture of Syria found its way into Judah a little bit at that point then? And that's what... What do you mean the revival sort of ended when he made that? Do you know why the revival would have ended when he made that alliance? Yeah, so basically, um, well, and the idea is like for, like God's calling on the Israelites is to be set apart. Okay. And so um, in some ways by him making an alliance, he's actually um, losing some ground with that. Um and it's interesting because uh, Syria um, ends up coming into the story later on. Um, basically, the northern kingdom ends up going to Assyria. Um, the Assyrians show up many times in the Bible, but they were a very brutal people. Um, yeah. Yeah. And basically, um, and they actually are the same people that we see in the story of uh, Jonah. Um, okay. So from Nineveh. Yeah. So the Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and so Assyria is this nation that is rising in power, and um, and they're just very brutal. So they were the ones who invented crucifixion. They were the ones who no um, way. would like uh, skin people alive. Oh my god. They goodness. would impale people on poles. Like it was really brutal. And it's interesting because later on the Romans adopted crucifixion and that's how Jesus ended up going on the cross. But like, just to kind of paint the picture, like they were very brutal p- people. And so, um, so the Northern kingdom is just completely corrupt. All of them, like the, there's not one good King in sight. Um, and eventually, the northern kingdom actually goes into exile much earlier than the southern kingdom. Okay. And the Assyrians come along, and they rise in power. And because of certain alliances uh, and them meshing with these other nations, the Assyrians come up against the northern kingdom. And they are very brutal. They take them out um, by fish hooks. And um, they uh, basically want to erase a nation's identity. So... They would intermarry with um, the people, so then you get a, mon- a bunch of mixed breeds. So um, later on, we'll actually see that in the the, the land itself, um, the Samaritans actually came from this mixed breed. That was a result of the northern kingdom end up going into exile. 
And so that's why the people of Judah, or like the Jews, um, or the people of the southern kingdom, actually had such a resentment and hate towards the Samaritans. because oh, wow. the, And so it actually goes back to this, this very relationship. So it's good to even understand that context of like, wow, like actually it goes back to with the kingdoms and how there was like all this evil going on yeah. and they went to exile. So and yeah. the, they almost would have seen them as the ones who betrayed the covenant a little bit then. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. So wow. yeah, a lot of uh, <laughs> sibling rivalry, I guess you could say. Yep. Um, but yeah, ultimately God doesn't want brokenness, but um, so cool how Jesus even addresses that and okay. he reconciles relationships. So. Yeah, fully. He talks yeah. to the Samaritan woman as well. Yeah, it's And that super was radical cool. in his time. Yeah, it's like crazy. So as we um, move on, so we see the first revival end up um, falling apart. And then we see Jehoshaphat. So he was the next um, revival. Um, basically, yeah, so we can go... And look into his story. Um, I'm just going to turn to Jehoshaphat. So he comes. So Jehoshaphat comes at the end of the book. Yeah, so he's a bit later. Yeah, so, and there's a lot more in the Chronicles. So the Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, basically go over the four books that we're actually covering now. So it goes over first and second Samuel okay. and first and second Kings. And the point is it the story was rewritten to give hope to the people of Israel coming back from exile and to paint this picture of Messiah and what um just to to really give them this identity of like, okay, yes we messed up, but we're going to be able to be successful this okay. time around. Um so if you ever feel like it's repetitive, it's actually just a repackaging of the story. Oh, yeah, that so, makes sense. And so yeah. this would have been written before the exile then? Yeah, so okay. or I would say just after exile because okay. it does include the entire time. And how they go into yeah, exile. Yeah, and how they go into everything. exile. Okay. So the author basically is trying to show them, like, okay, this is, this is what went wrong. It's what happened. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and so with uh, Jehoshaphat... Um, it's both in First Kings um, chapter twenty-two, but it also shows up in Second Chronicles eighteen. Mm. Um, so I'm just going to pull up both of those. But when we look at, um, so sometimes Chronicles will, um, uh, or give us a bit more insight of what was going on because there there are different things that are highlighted. So basically in Chronicles, it talks about how he, he has the same ways as his father David. Um, and so he also took down the high places. So there were some evil kings in between him, uh, between him and Asa. And yeah, so he took down the, the high places. Um, and um, then we see that revival ends up ending in chapter 18, where he makes a marriage alliance with Ahab. Um, which, yeah, Ahab is actually, like, the most, like, one of the most evil kings, um, in the king, in, yeah, the kingdom of Israel. So he, Ahab marries Jezebel, and if you know about Jezebel, she's, like, super 
yeah, messed up. <laughs> she is very manipulative and um, basically like does a lot of idol worship. Um, and we actually see her show up. She's uh, one of the characters in the story of Elijah when there's the whole mm-hmm. showdown. Um, but yeah, so she um, ends up getting uh, Ahab to kill a man because she wanted his land. So there's a lot of different wow. things that we see in the story where you're like, oh my goodness, this yep. is like so sad. Um, and and that ends up being redeemed in some capacity. But yeah, just to emphasize like when, yeah, you're, <laughs> when there's anything that is connected to Ahab, that's no good. No. Um, yeah. Not and so all. Jehoshaphat kind of keeps the door open by letting, um, yeah, basically having this marriage alliance with Ahab. Um yeah, so that's the next revival. Then uh, we have Jehoiada. Um, so he's in Second Kings twelve and Second uh, Chronicles twenty four. Went the wrong way. <laughs> but yeah, so, and I mean, you also have to keep in mind there's a lot of time that's between these kings and a lot of, even like other evil kings. So that's why you have like these, I mean, you have the Asherah poles, you have all this Baal worship, all that stuff ends up being built and then it's taken down and being built. And so there's a lot, a lot going on behind the scenes. Um, so it's good to keep that in mind. It's such a throwaway reference to you. You read these books, and and it just says, and then this guy came into power, and he was really evil. Built the poles, built the high places again. Yeah. And then a little <laughs> while later, and then this guy came into power, and he was a good king. He took down the poles. He took down the high places. And you're like, okay, cool. <laughs> and and what it what it that would have looked like is setting up these altars of worship that would have been there for years. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the culture starts to go after idols again, and then there's depravity in the culture, mm-hmm. and so the the effect of those throwaway references sort of it's a short little highlight in our bible but because this is hundreds of years of history mm-hmm. it's amazing yeah. to just think about and then this guy established worship again to idols brought depravity and like you were saying bad alliances with nations and then the next paragraph is about the next guy undoing that but actually we see that would have taken place for years and years and years 20 30 40 years of that before the next guy undid it yeah, it's very, exactly. very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to, to see that. Um, yeah, so there's a lot that's going on. Um, yeah, and then, so now we're at the point, so with um, Jehoiada, um, uh, basically, um, let's see here. So we had Jehoshaphat, now we have Jehoiada. Um And so what's interesting, so Jehoiada is actually not even a king, but basically there's all this evil that was going on, and a lot of it was a result of them, the marriage alliance with, um, with Ahab. And so basically all these evil kings are a result of that. And so then Ethaliah, um, she's basically like this. She's actually in... Um, uh, in uh, I guess she's kind of like one of the, she's like a queen of okay. the king, um, 
for like a brief period of time. Um, but it's interesting because she, so she's like this grandmother who ends up w- trying to like completely wipe out the line of David. So it's, um, uh, Joe Ash actually is the only one in David's line that actually ends up being saved. So she like kills all, all of this line and Joe Ash happens to escape because, uh, his nurse ends up hiding him away. And so we ought, we, can see God was, like, his hand is in the story. And so um, what's so cool is Jehoiada ends up mentoring um, this single, like, son who is in the line of David. And, um, yeah, and so this is in chapter 22. Um, But, yeah, we see how, um, yeah, this priest is actually influencing a king. So as a result, um, Joash ends up bringing... um, uh, revival, and so he um, basically ends up repairing the temple. Um, so they, um, and the fact that it's a priest who um, is, yeah, working behind the scenes. Um, I think it's really cool that, and this is the first time we see there being like this complete um, re- redemption of the temple. Yeah, um, yeah, literally since Solomon built the temple. So wow. this is like hun- like. Maybe not hundreds, but quite a few le- years it's later. Generations. Yeah. And yeah. in between this time, this the temple has been defiled. Yeah. Right? And there's been stuff set up in there, probably like Asherah poles, like all this wow. really messed up stuff, um, which is such a bummer. But yeah, we see this revival. Um, and so basically, uh, Jehoiada, um, like he did an amazing job, like, and basically was in power but wasn't necessarily directly in power but when he passed away then there was some compromise in Joash's um life um yeah and so once again we see kind of like everything fizzle out again uh which is pretty yeah which once again is a bummer it's discouraging yeah you're like oh man what's going on it really shows how much like we need a king that's going to have like eternal like, like complete restoration. Yeah, like, really, it's like, yeah, crazy thing. It about. makes sense why that would have been their ultimate hope. Is finally one day we're gonna have to stop going through the motions and the back and forth of a good king and a bad king. What would be the best thing would be a good king forever. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, so it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, so then we have Uzziah. Um, Basically, he ends up going on these little military campaigns. So this is in Second Chronicles 26. Uh, and so he goes and he wars against the Philistines. He has success. Um, and his downfall is he actually grew, uh, grew, grew pr- prideful. Um, and he actually went into the temple of the Lord and burnt incense at, at the temple. And as a result, there was like leprosy that showed up on his forehead and... Uh, and he couldn't come into the presence of God. And, and this kind of echoes back to when Saul, um, like, basically was trying to take uh, things into his own hands. And we can, like, whenever we have, like, someone who's trying to both take the title of king and priest, that's when things go real, oh, wow. real crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, basically we see that with Uzziah. Um, yeah. And then... Um, and just to also to, um, 
Yeah, so, yeah, basically the next one we see is Hezekiah. And it's interesting because with Hezekiah, he, um, he is actually around the same time when the northern kingdom goes into exile. So the Assyrians come up against Hezekiah. Um, and this story shows up three different times in the Bible. It shows up in First Kings, or sorry, Second Kings and Second Chronicles, and it also shows up in Isaiah. So it's a very key passage. Wow. Um, so Hezekiah basically, um, yeah, all, there's this whole dialogue going on where the Assyrians were like this big bully, you know, um, trying to come up against the Israelites, and the their power was growing um, bigger and more powerful, and basically. Um, the northern kingdom actually, um, at one point, were like they were trying to take things into their own hands. So, that, um, in Isaiah, it talks about how with an earlier king, um, they wanted to um, basically make an alliance with Israel, and so they like came in. Uh, so the northern king came in to try to like bully them into helping them out to go against the Assyrians, and that ended up backfiring on them. And so um, that actually resulted in them going into exile, um, which is, yeah, pretty ironic. Um, so, um, so, that, so when that first happened, that actually was, um, let's see here. Yeah, so the Assyrians left to go into exile in 2 Kings um, 17. So the Assyrians take him out into exile. So now the Assyrians came back for the southern kingdom, and they're knocking on Hezekiah's door. And so um, and Hezekiah does all this amazing stuff. He restores the temple worship. Um, yeah, all these things. Um, and he re- repaired the temple. Um, and they, they celebrate Passover, which this is, like, the first time in, like, decades that they actually choose to, to celebrate Passover. Wow. Um, he does all this stuff with um, priests and, uh, yeah, just absolutely amazing stuff. Um, but anyways, so the Assyrians came knocking on, on his door and... Basically, he had this moment where he had to um, choose. It was either to put his trust in these other nations like Egypt or trust God, basically. And so um, this, this story is depicted in Second Chronicles 32. And so they're basically saying, like, oh, like, it's so silly that you're, you're putting your trust in God. Um, and literally overnight, we have all these... Um, it basically depicts like this angel of death comes in and wipes out the Syrian um, army overnight. So crazy, crazy story. Wow. And then, yeah, so really awesome things done through Hezekiah. Unfortunately, with Hezekiah, he ended up making an alliance with Babylon because he was like, oh, man, like if the Syrians come back, like I need to have a plan B, which ends up... um, ironically showing him in the foot later because the southern kingdom actually goes into exile with Babylon. And so uh, we, in the next scene we see he actually shows off all of his, his wealth to um, yeah, the, the Babylonians. Um, 
And this is actually re- happened after he recovered from this sickness. And so if he would have died in the sickness, um, uh, interesting enough, his son wouldn't have even been born. So he recovered from the sickness. He shows off all this stuff and, um, and ultimately dooms um, the uh, kingdom of Israel, or the southern kingdom. And so then his son Manasseh actually ends up being one of the, like he did the worst of the worst things. He was one of the most evil kings of the southern kingdom. Um, and so it's kind of, I'm curious how he ended up that way, but I wonder if part of it is because um, when God basically approached Hezekiah and was like, hey, like, um, as a result, your your kids are going to suffer as, you know, on the con. But because of the um, your actions, basically, and so I'm sure Manasseh pretty much was like, "Well, <laughs> I guess like I'm probably gonna have to deal with that." Um, I don't think it actually affected Manasseh per se, but you can tell he actually so he completely um, undoes everything that Hezekiah did, um, and so he like does all this stuff with sorcery and fortune telling and mediums and idolatry so it's super bad um what's really cool is he later on repents but um that still takes a toll on the nation um so yeah we see that with hezekiah's reign so there was like some awesome reformations but then yeah (laughs) like it ended up being completely undone by his son so it really shows a lot like how important it is for us to even pass on the legacy to like our children yeah like it's one thing to be a christian have a relationship with god but if you actually don't invest into them and their relationship with God, then yeah, literally that can like work against you. Yeah. So yeah, pretty sad. Um, and so then the last revival we see uh, is with Josiah, and so it's really crazy because um, yeah, someone basically ends up stumbling across a book of the law. Um, so this is in Second Chronicles 34, and yeah, and it's one of the ones given through Moses. So basically, that means they were not reading the book this whole time. They were not following the law. So oh, the fact no. that he stumbled across it and then immediately like put on sackcloth and ashes and was like, "Oh my gosh, we need to like <laughs> change some major stuff here." Wow. Yeah, and so basically. And they realized this entire time, we haven't even been, like, following this. Like, yeah. you know, oh, my goodness. Like, we're going to have some serious consequences here. Um, and so then we see he, yeah, ends up doing this crazy revival. Um, once again, he keeps the Passover, which is super awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then he ends up dying because he um, ends up going to war with... Um, okay, so he... He dies in battle, which is, like, a bummer. (laughs) But, yeah, so over and over again we see, um, because, I mean, and this this book ultimately reflects what happened in the judges' time frame, where over and over again the people of Israel Israel stray from God. But, and so they thought, oh, well, we need to have a solution that's going to stick, that's actually going to endure the test of time. So why don't we have a king who's going to last for, like, be a king for his whole lifetime. Sure. Like, we're going to have more of a permanent uh, solution. But, yeah, even in the story of the kings, like, wow. 
a lot of things go wrong. Um, yeah, and it's not too far after that. That's when the southern kingdom goes into exile with um, the Babylons, Babylonians. Um, and, yeah, we it's pretty, yeah, pretty much a bummer. But, um, yeah, and so we have exile for 70 years. And, actually, it's after that time um, the Babylonians... Um, while they were in exile and end up being conquered by the Persians. And so mm. the Persians were the ones who end up bringing them back into the promised land. They can even give money for the temple. Oh, um, wow. I'm not going to steal too much because Johnny's going to be speaking yeah. next um, on a bit into that time frame. Okay. Um, but, yeah, that kind of gives a bit more insight into, yeah, what's going on. Um, he even, like, prophesies kings, the, the king of Persia, his name Cyrus, hundreds of years before he's even born. So it's, like, super cool how, yeah, God is still in the story, even in the midst of Israel going off and doing their own thing. Um, And, yeah, and so ultimately, like, we we look at this time frame, and it seems super dark, and we're like, okay, well, where is God in all this? Well, and um, we see a lot of him move even through the prophets, um, and... Um, yeah, I think sometimes, like, when we, when we hear people's testimonies, um, oftentimes we're like, oh, well, I, like, want to make sure to be, like, the, the Christians who don't stray and whatever, but I think, um, for the people who have, like, had maybe a pretty rough testimony, I'm sure, like, they don't ever want to go back to that place, Mm. and, and so, the Israelites, they've gone through some pretty rough stuff, but they made sure not to go back into that place, so, um, yeah, what Judaism is today is actually quite a bit different than it was, yeah, even during the time that they were, um, yeah, actually in the promised land wow. doing their own thing. Yep. And so, I mean, there wasn't a full fullness of revelation when Jesus came in to the picture. And so there was like some, some things that needed to be corrected, but... I think they did understand the concept of, like, okay, like, we really need to, yeah, like, consistently seek God. We really, we don't want to mess this up again. Like when Josiah found the law, and it's like, okay, we need to get, this is, yeah, they found the standard again. It's amazing they ever lost it. Yeah. But now they have this newfound fear of the Lord in terms of keeping the law. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, yeah. I mean, very interesting to go into the story and understand a bit more of that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of cool things in the story, so sure. definitely encourage the audience to Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I have a couple of, of questions as well, actually, and, and mm-hmm. maybe this will answer some people's questions. But, uh, you know, if they lost the law, what do you think it means that they were when a king did right in the sight of the Lord? Yeah, well, and basically the, the good kings, so the kings who do right inside of the Lord, yeah. It's always going back to David and like okay. this this repentant heart. So oh, yeah. even if like they didn't necessarily know the law, some of the kings in the the, rev- the previous revivals we were looking at, um, like took down the i like idolatry. Sure. So they took down different idols. So maybe it was like you know maybe making an inch of pro- like of progress, but. Um, they still were at least being repentant. Yeah. And so I was really looking at their heart and seeing like, wow, like they're not, they're choosing to, to be set apart, to be a light to the nations. 
and um, yeah, to be to be different, to not conform to mm. what everyone else is doing. That's cool. Yeah. So they carried. It was almost like they exhibited the heart of the law without actually performing the. Yeah. Without the fully letter knowing of it. it. Yeah. And maybe some okay. of these earlier kings did know it, but sure. there was somewhere between Solomon and yeah, when the law was found, that like. It was somehow lost. Yeah. So and even Hezekiah, like he seems like a good guy, a good king. Uh, and then it was right after him, what well, I suppose Manasseh and then Josiah, mm-hmm. that the law was found. So he and so he would have been probably generations off yeah. from this law yeah. when they were last following it. Yeah, it's pretty so, wild. Yeah. And I mean, it's a bit ironic because um, one of the the things written down in Leviticus. Um, oh, sorry, Deuteronomy 17 is for the king to write down the law. Yeah, have his by own hand copy and, and yeah. memorize it, and like to to have it internalized. And so wow. you can tell the kings were not doing this whatsoever. Not at all. Um, but it's interesting because, like, yeah, and today, um, yeah, young kids will like memorize the first five books of the of the Bible, so the Torah, by heart, which is like wow, so crazy. So it's not only. Um, exclusive for kings but like now it's like a cultural norm yeah so it's kind of cool that yeah they did that well because what if one of them was appointed king you know like david was just a kid in the field so if every if you just make sure every kid is prepared then anyone could be the king i guess (laughs) yeah maybe (laughs) wow yeah they just they really want the messiah so that's awesome yeah um man well thanks for sharing i think i think uh just some of the takeaways at least for me on this time around is, is man, God really does have an eternal perspective mm-hmm. You know, he's out for the nation and not just, not just upset at what one guy did. I mean, of course it was totally grieving to him what these evil Kings did, but man, his grace is shown throughout this story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you for placing an emphasis on that and helping us to see that as well. And, um, yeah, I like the type in the shadow that David is of the ideal King and that when they were in the heart of, um, the law and then in the heart of God and exhibiting his character. It's like, okay, you're following after your father, David, you're doing what's right. Mm-hmm. Even though we know that they were way off from the law, they weren't doing every law that was required of them. Yeah. But man, God was gracious enough to postpone the exile to, yeah, to just be faithful to him. So. And even bring him back out of yep, exile. Totally. So, yeah. And it was just, it was just a punishment. The punishment suited the crime and there was a period of exile and then another deliverance. Yeah. So, yeah, he is a deliverer. <laughs> Man, awesome. Well, thanks so much, Rose. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think we'll call it here. And uh, we'll be joined next time with, with Johnny. And we'll have you back a few more times as well. And, yeah, we're just looking forward to it. So, thanks so much. Sounds good. I encourage you guys also to read along and to um, go dive into these stories for yourself. There's going to be so many things that we don't get to cover, so many details and things that God might highlight to you. So jump into the Word, into your Bible, and yeah, let these podcasts just inform the way that you read it. So thanks for listening. Join us again next time on the Bible Overview Series.